Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 57. This is your host, Adam, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And tonight, it is nighttime. As of this recording, it is 12.12 a.m. Central Time, Texas Time. And, um... I want to talk about a handful of movies that are fairly obscure. They were made at different times and quickly (laughs) scuttled off into obscurity not long after they were made. But they're the type of movies that I am somehow drawn to, which is really... A lot about it's it's a lot of uh, what this show is about, and um, we have some some horror, we have some exploitation, we have action drama. We got a we got a handful of things. We have some found footage. We got you know we got a mixed bag on this episode. And all these movies, uh, I think, can be easily dismissed by people as just trash. <laughs> trash movies. Um, and to a certain extent, they're right. And I want to read a quote right now from Philip K. Dick. Uh, author Philip K. Dick, uh, who actually died the year I was born, 1982. <laughs> But this is what Philip K. Dick said. Quote, There was a beauty in the trash of the alleys, which I had never noticed before. My vision seemed sharpened rather than impaired. As I walked along, it seemed to me that the flattened beer cans and papers and weeds and junk mail had been arranged by the wind into patterns. These patterns, when I scrutinized them, lay distributed so as to comprise a visual language. End of quote. And that's really what this episode is about. <laughs> There's, I find that there is a beauty in the trash of the alleys. And in, and in this case, my alleys are filled with VHSs and DVDs and digitally remastered Blu-rays. And yeah, I, and when I scrutinize the trash that I see, um, I think they're. I think the visual language they're trying to communicate. It's. I don't know. I don't think it necessarily enlightens me or makes the world better or anything like that. But I don't know. I think from time to time, swimming against the mainstream, you um, you learn a thing or two. You, <laughs> it's often brief. <laughs> But you learn a thing or two. And let's see. 
The first movie I wanted to talk about. Oh, my God. It is a horror film, and it's called Scary Movie. This is the original Scary Movie, not the the spoof Scary Movie made in the 2000s Scary Movies. This is another Scary Movie from 1991, brought to us by the good people at AGFA. If you're not familiar with AGFA... Uh, that's it's a it's an acronym. It stands for American Genre Film Archive, and they're also closely tied in with Alamo Draft House, which we have a whole bunch of Alamo Draft House um, in Austin. And depending on where you are right now, you may have an Alamo Draft House in the city that you live in. But yeah, uh, Agfa, they do a really good job at taking incredibly obscure films. A lot of times films that were never actually released. They were made and shelved and forgotten about. And this is one of them, actually. Scary movie. Let's see. I'm going to read the back of the box because I actually have a physical Blu-ray copy. And it's a pretty good... It's a pretty good copy, you know. Agfo puts out some nice Blu-rays. And when you open it up, you get yourself your Blu-ray and you also have a DVD. The cover is reversible, so you can actually take it out and flip it around and have some of the original artwork that the movie had. And what else? Um, Let's see. This is on the back of the box. Let's see. Never legitimately distributed until this very moment. (laughs) This very moment right now. Whenever you happen to be reading this. Scary Movie is a joyous horror triumph starring Academy Award nominee John Hawks. On Halloween night, big time nerd Warren, played by Hawks, channeling a mix of Buster Keaton and Crispin Glover, attends a spook house in a small Texas town. But in the haunted house, as harmless as it seems, or has a psychotic mental patient found a new stomping ground, question mark, (laughs) shot in Austin, Texas, Scary Movie combines Argento-esque neon, Freddy Krueger dreamscapes, and slapstick inspired by Evil Dead 2, (laughs) to forge a Valentine to Halloween rubber monster mask, and chopped off limbs from the songs by Rocky Erickson and Butthole Surfers to the surrealistic mood. This is a true discovery for adventurous horror heads. Special features, 2K preservation from the original 16mm camera negative, commentary with director Daniel Erickson and Joseph A. Zemba. Of Agfa. Let's see. Also includes Mr. Pumpkin and Little Hero short films by Eric Daniel Erickson. Original theatrical teaser trailer and more. Okay, cool. So, scary movie. Um, scary movie. Uh, the character of Warren, played by John Hawks, who you may or may not recognize. Um, 
John Hawks, uh, I'm just going to call him Warren. Uh, <laughs> Warren and his friends are at a small town Halloween spook house uh, in Austin, Texas. It was shot in Austin. They don't say it's Austin, but there's enough stuff in the movie to uh, suggest that it is Texas. You know, in the beginning of the movie, there's like a giant shiner beer truck dropping off beer to the uh, to the spook house, uh, <laughs> which is very Texas. And actually, the butthole surfers in the opening is playing in the background. The song, what's it, that's a song called? I think the song is called Graveyard. So, and also the Rocky Eric song, uh, I walk, I walked with a zombie is also plays in the beginning of the movie and Rocky Erickson, Austin, Texas and butthole servers are also from Texas. It's a very Texas movie. Um, let's see the character of Warren. He has, <laughs> I'm sure John Hawks is a, fine actor but in this movie he just seems so awkward to me um he has the i mean what does it say on the back it said he was channeling a mix of buster keaton and crispin glover i didn't quite get that impression from his performance um i got more of his personality was if Mr. Bean and C-3PO had a son with a neurological disease. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I saw the Warren character. And this is our hero, quote unquote, of the movie. So Warren gets set up on a blind date with the character of Barbara. Um, and she's a nice enough gal whose personality consists of um, palm reading and kleptomania and just blank stares. <laughs> everyone in the movie... Everyone in the movie is pretty one-dimensional, actually. But when you're talking about a sort of 80s slasher movie, that can be... Oh, that you can that can be forgiven. <laughs> so, in the spirit of John Carpenter's Halloween, a dangerous mental patient escapes from custody while being transported, and is on the loose now. I don't, why are they always transporting mental patients on a Halloween night? This seems weird. It seems like it would transporting them maybe during the day would be safer thing to do. I don't know, especially if they get loose. It's easier to see them under the Texas sun because it gets dark once you kind of get out in the sticks. But anyways, um, <laughs> yes, dangerous mental patient escapes from custody. While being transported, okay? You know, I didn't love this movie upon first watch. Um, I liked the charm of um, it's Halloween night. Everyone is in costume. There's a uh, spooky carnival haunted house. There's a killer on the loose. Everyone's Everyone in the whole movie is like a red herring. <laughs> 
Um, also, I thought this was really cool. I was watching the special features and director Daniel Erickson points out that the haunted house itself, which I believe they built for the movie, which is impressive, you know, like this movie was, was made on the cheap, but like there was a lot of ingenuity in this film. And this was, I believe his first movie. So, you know, it had, it, it was, it was shot fairly well for what it was. And the sets were good, and it had a nice big crowd. Like, it felt like a sort of roadside attraction, haunted carnival-type haunted house, and a lot of people showed up for it. Like, it was great. And Texas is sort of like that. If you've never been to Texas, you'll just be driving through the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden there'll be something where there's, like, a fuckload of cars in front of it. Like uh, like the gas station in Bastrop, which is just outside of Austin. And the gas station used to be a gas station at one point, but it's actually in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In the beginning of the movie, our main characters show up in a green van, and they stop at this gas station, and it's that gas station is still open today, but now it's more of a kind of a, I don't know, it's more of a tourist attraction. You go inside, they sell horror memorabilia and merch, Stuff like that. They sell movies. Out front, they have this really cool, like, memorial bench that no one sits on, by the way. It's just this thing sitting on their porch, and it's this, like, big brass bench that has, like, a giant brass chainsaw on it. And it's basically this memorial bench dedicated to the actor's and um and and other people who worked on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very cool. I'm sure if you look it up online you can you can see it. Or you can go out to Bastrop, Texas and go see it yourself. It's very cool. That's kind of what the haunted house in this movie sort of felt like. But uh, you know, aesthetically, I like the way this movie looks. You know, it looks like in even though it was shot in 91, 9091 um, it felt like it was shot in the eighties and it, it looks like a horror movie. Like if there was no sound, if you were just at a party or something and this movie was just on in the background on, on, on the TV, you'd, you'd glance over at it and within two seconds, you'd say to yourself, that's a, that's a horror movie. So, I mean, so the aesthetic, I really like the aesthetic of the whole thing. Um, I was... I was a bit underwhelmed with John Hawk's performance as Warren. He couldn't really carry the story as a lead, um, in my opinion. And a lot of that is because he doesn't say much the whole movie. He just sort of emotes with his face, which, you know, is, I don't know, that wasn't enough for me. So he actually kind of came off sort of, it came off sort of comical and goofy. And, um, I mean, not that, you know, if he had a bunch of lines to say, it wouldn't come off comical and goofy, but I don't know. Like I said before, the second time I watched it, I, I started to pick up on all the, 
all the like foreshadowing and the symbolism like sort of in weaved through the movie, which I really enjoyed the, cause the first time around you're just sort of absorbing the movie. And then the second time you watch it, you start to pick up on little things that are sort of placed around the movie and it's not by accident. And, um, Oh, <laughs> I got sidetracked for a second. Um, the, the Daniel Erickson commentary, he mentions that when they constructed the, the front of the, um, the spook house, they made it, they kind of made it up to look like um, basically a two dimensional house from Psycho, which I thought was a really cool detail. Let's see, other things I really liked. I mean, I, I enjoyed the soundtrack uh, inclu- uh, inclusion of the of Butthole Surfers and Rocky Erickson. I'm a huge Rocky Erickson fan. So, I mean, Rocky Erickson died not too long ago and. When I moved out here, like one of the first things I did besides, you know, move into my apartment and get a job was <laughs> I I wanted to know where Rocky Erickson was buried. And to my knowledge, uh, he doesn't have an official grave that I'm aware of. Like his cause of death was sort of kept out of the out of the news. And so was any I, I still haven't found anything that says where he may be buried or, you know, if his family cremated him and spread his ashes, I'm not really sure. But big Rocky Erickson fan, really great musician. But um, but the movie I thought was I thought it was shot fine. I thought it looked good, especially with the the uh, 2K sort of uh, preservation that they did from the 16 millimeter camera negative. It it looks pretty damn good and I have a huge TV and I really like the way it looked. Again, I thought it, it looks like an 80s slasher film and I wouldn't say it's, it's not quite on the level of say like George Romero's fun house or uh, house of a thousand corpses or killer clowns from outer space. But I, th- I thought it looked really good. Anyways, it, it looks like its own thing. You know, Agfa doesn't release movies that are sort of chosen by algorithm. You know, it's most of the movies they put out are obscure, low budget genre and exploitation films. So I can definitely recommend scary movie, but just so you know, it is a low budget genre film like all uh agfa films and it's um you know it's it's <laughs> i don't know it's 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 not the type of movie i would just recommend to somebody who's like starting to get into horror movies i would say it's more of something of like if you've already watched everything you know, if you watched all the, you know, all the big things, all the John Carpenter movies, the Freddy movies, Child's Play, Hellraiser, um, the Exorcist films, stuff like that. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, like stuff like that. If you watched all of that stuff and you really have a, and, you know, modern stuff too. You know, if you've seen The Witch and Hereditary and Get Out and... um 
you know, the watcher and all that stuff. You, you develop sort of a palette sort of in your mind. You, you really kind of get a taste for what you like to look at and what you don't. And I would say if you're just generally, if you watch horror movies regularly, check out scary movie. You know, it's definitely one of those movies that passed me by and you know, to my knowledge, it only came out recently through Agfa. You know, I don't, I don't think it ever got an initial release that I'm aware of. So it's kind of cool to that things like this exist. So again, that's scary movie. And if you go to let's see, if you go to American Genre Film dot com. I believe that's Agfa's um, website, and you can just go buy stuff from them. And if they happen to do kind of a, a weird movie night, uh, if they do like a weird Wednesday or a Terror Tuesday at an Alamo Draft House, you know, and it's uh, kind of co-sponsored by uh, America Genre Film Archive, go check it out sometime. It'd be really cool to see movies like this on a big screen, you know. All right, that was Scary Movie. And the next film, oh boy. So I went uh, I went movie shopping recently. I go movie shopping fairly often, and I'm constantly buying stuff online and whatever. But again, I'm a big fan of physical media. I like books. I like DVDs. I like Blu-rays. I, um, just in the past few years, uh, have been kind of beefing up my VHS collection. I got rid of my VHS collection probably seven ish, seven, eight years ago. And, uh, I definitely regret doing that because <laughs> I, t- I, I gave a lot um, all, pretty much almost pretty much all my VHSs to a buddy of mine. Uh, who was also really into VHS, and I gave him some really cool shit. Like, I had an autographed um, uh, Evil Dead 2, like, like uh, clamshell, like, anniversary copy, um, autographed by Bruce Campbell, like, stuff like that. Like, the you know, my, my original copy of fucking Reservoir Dogs that I've had since forever, um, you know, I, the, my original Halloween VHS, like all this stuff that I got when I was like a teenager and just held on to, I just, I don't know. I don't know what got into me. I just gave it all away. <laughs> so now I'm, you know, I'm now I'm kind of recollecting things, but I'm a little more picky. I'm not just buying everything and hoarding stuff. <laughs> We're about to be in a crippling recession soon, so I plan on buying a lot of gold this year. So I can't spend all my money on videos. <laughs> so, but this next film uh, is something I picked up in my last shopping run. Um, and it's actually it's two films on one DVD, and uh, one film was called The Black Six. But I, um, I didn't even watch the Black Six. 
I I just I basically bought this DVD for the other film that's on here. And that film is called uh, The Black Gestapo. And when I saw the front cover, it is a a black man who kind of, I don't know, kind of looks like, what does he look like? Mm, I don't know. Kind of looks like Terry Crews a little bit. <laughs> um, there's a sort of mustachioed, very angry looking black man. Wearing a uh, Nazi SS officer's uniform, holding a gun and a whip. And behind him, he's got two uh, ladies who I assume are prostitutes, uh, a white lady and a black lady. (laughs) And in case you haven't guessed, uh, this is definitely a classic exploitation film so the black gestapo from 1975 directed by lee frost this is now my army and we're at war the black gestapo when they declare war it's all out all the way out we we made a deal the deal was I wouldn't shoot your white ass off. And if they touch a brother's woman. Okay. Rape me. Go ahead and rape me, honking bastard. This is really your style, isn't it? I bet this is about the only way you can get laid. That really cuts it. My warriors! You have done well. The white community will feel our power. Okay, hockey. You can come out now. The Black Gestapo. Victory through violence and vengeance for the new master race. A group of militant black citizens in Watts, which is in Southern California. Um, this, this group is called the People's Army of Watts. Now, this group starts off uh, very similar to like the guardian angels. If you're familiar with them, you know, they wore like the red berets and stuff. And they were basically citizens who were not formal law enforcement, but they would basically band together to um, help keep communities safe. Basically. I believe they were unarmed, you know? So, That's sort of how the People's Army of Watts started. Sworn to protect the streets from a pseudo-mafia of white dudes. Okay, So in this world, uh, (laughs) the the streets of Watts are controlled by an army of of white dudes. Um, I think they're supposed to be like an Italian mafia. But, you know... I don't think they I don't I don't think they were able to get a bunch of Italian guys from like, you know, Queens. So they ended up just getting a bunch of like white actors <laughs> from, from like Pasadena to be in this movie, but it's fine. It's fine. But, you know, the the so the People's Army of Watts, they sort of start as a positive force in the neighborhood, you know, trying to 
stand up to criminals and, you know, stick up for the innocent people. But they end up more like if, um, well, let's see. They end up, the, the group ends up more of like, if, if you can imagine, like if like BLM meets the black Hebrew Israelites with a splash of Nazism. That's sort of how they ended up. Okay, and I'll explain. Um, let's see. So in this group that you have, uh, they're, they're sort of, they're very militaristic, right? So everyone has like a rank. Everyone wears a uniform. Uh, you know, they don't start looking like Nazis, you know, initially. So Colonel Koja, who's played by uh, Mac from Night Court, if you're old enough to remember Night Court. I know they rebooted Night Court, but I don't know if Mac is uh, reprising his um, his character in that. I know John, it's basically the whole thing is based around John Larroquette because... Um, what was his name? Dan Fielding, wasn't that his name in the show? He's, um, yeah, so basically the whole show kind of revolves around him because, you know, everyone else in the show is dead. <laughs> so, so when they rebooted the show, they're like, well, who's alive? John Larroquette's alive. Go get him. And if you're not familiar, I'm, if you're a horror fan, you know this, and you're like, Adam... Why are you even bringing this up? John Larroquette, in the beginning of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, reads the the original, he, he's the narrator for the original title crawl, where he talks about, you know, there was a bunch of murderers in Texas, and yada, 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 and it became known as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That guy's voice, that's John Larroquette. Anyways, so, uh, <laughs> so Mac from Night Court, uh, Colonel Koja, Colonel Koja takes this group that looks like, they look like the Weebelows. Okay, do you know what the Weebelows are? I was a Weebelow. Um, <laughs> the Weebelows are basically like uh, when you're, if you're like a, like a Cub Scout. Okay, when I, when I, when I was in the Scouts, the Boy Scouts of America, you would start as a Tiger Scout. When you basically wear, you don't wear a uniform. You just wear like a orange shirt with a tiger on it. I wasn't a tiger scout. I came in as a as a cub scout, and then and that's like a like a dark blue uniform. Okay, and then once you kind of get all of your animal ranks, because <laughs> they were ranked by animal for some reason. Well, let me see if I can remember it. Because because you would get your you know you get your badges, you get your patches on your shirt. And once you got all of your badges your animal badges then you would be promoted to Weebelow and I think it was let's see it was a, um, a wolf scout there was a bear scout I don't remember what the other ones were some other animals <laughs> not eagle scout because that's that's if you're you know that's that's like the highest rank that's like the that's like if you're a five-star general and you have like the Congressional Medal of Honor. That's what an Eagle Scout basically is. Um, but yeah, Weeblow is sort of like when you're, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, something like that. But it's basically this tan, you get this tan uniform. And that's how, that's what this group initially looks like in the beginning of the movie. They look like a bunch of fucking Weeblows, but they're like grown black dudes, <laughs> like adult black dudes 
with sideburns and afros and mustaches trying to clean up the streets of Watts. But um, in no time at all, they end up looking just like the SS, basically. <laughs> like They go from these like tan fucking uniforms to just black Nazi uniforms. So, um, so pretty quickly, once they kind of get their numbers and they get their training and everything, they just, they start cleaning up the neighborhood and they just destroy the entire mafia. They just fuck up all the mafia, you know, um, a lot of, okay, well, here's a, for instance, in one scene, uh, I'm just going to call them the black Gestapo now. Cause that's basically what they've turned into. Um, they don't call themselves that in the movie. That's just what the movie was called. <laughs> so one scene, the black Gestapo busts into this mob guy's house. This like mafioso dude's house while he's taking a bath and they want to send a message to the guy. So the guy's all freaked out cause he's in his bathtub and all these black dudes in Nazi uniforms show up and the, <laughs> the black Gestapo wants to send a message to the mob that uh, St. Their streets no more. It's the black Gestapo streets. So they hold the guy down while he's still like in the water in the tub, you know, and they cut the guy's balls off and then they flush them down the toilet. <laughs> so, yes. Um, so once the, there's a whole bunch of that, you know, cause like the mob guys, all the white dudes were like shaken down like, uh, black business owners for protection money. Basically they were sort of extorting people. So once the mob is like pushed out of town, the black Gestapo end up taking over the mobs extortion rackets, their drug dealing, their all the prostitution, you know? So once they actually clean up the streets, sort of the power gets to them and they realize that they can make money. Like, you know, they, once they took over this area, they're like, well, we're in charge now. So they basically <laughs> become criminals. They become a criminal organization after this. So, uh, Koja, Colonel Koja turns the people's army into the thing he swore to fight against. And the power struggle was, uh, you know, or structure rather, the power structure in the um, people's army of Watts <laughs> um, was kind of set up where initially it was shared by Colonel Koja and this other guy named uh, General uh, Ahmed. And you know, and they started everything with the best intentions. And then Colonel Koja got, you know, power went to his head. And then he basically was like, okay, I'm going to be a drug lord and fucking run prostitution and shake down, you know, I'll be the one that shakes down black businesses for money. It's, and um, it's hilarious. So it all started with good intentions, but, but, you know, the power got wrestled away. Koja wrestled control away from general Ahmed 
and then turned, you know, everything into the Black Gestapo. So now they're at odds with each other. Okay, so Ahmed decides, you know, they they sort of give him, they kind of give him an out too. They there there's a moment where Ahmed goes to their like Black Gestapo compound, which is basically like a house in a gated community and has a pool and shit. And he shows up while they're having a fucking party there. So they're having this big pool party and, um, Ahmed tries to have a sit down with, uh, Koja and is like, like, look, man, like we, we didn't, you're living in a fucking mansion now. And <laughs> got all these, got all these prostitutes running around your pool, having a party and everything like that. But he's like, but, but you're also like, you took over the mob's business. You know, it's like you you are the mafia now, you know, and you're it's not cool, dude. That's not why we started this this organization. And Koja's like, look, we you know, it's better that we're the ones committing these crimes than some honky cracker fucking <laughs> guys. So Koja kind of gives him a pass. He's like, look, man, he's like, you know, from this point forward, you're out. You know, he's like, I'm the, I'm the general now, you know, I run things, you know, and things will, things will be better for our people if we run things. So you're out, you know, and we're going to give you a pass. Like we don't want any trouble from you. So just go about your business. You don't mess with us. We don't mess with you. Ahmed was not down with that shit at all. So now they're at odds with each other and Ahmed decides to go to war with Koja's black Gestapo. And he's basically alone. You know, he's, he's basically a one man army and, and Koja has, I don't know. I mean, things are edited in such a way where it looks like he probably has like hundreds of fucking followers, but Realistically, he probably has like there's probably has like thirty guys or something, which is still a lot. But Ahmed's like, I'm going to war with this dude. And so the movie is, say, so if you can kind of picture everything I've already described up to this point, but the the movie is slathered in classic exploitation movie tropes. Okay, you got your black exploitation. You have your Nazi exploitation. You have um, funky seventies music. You have kung fu fighting. You have rape. <laughs> you have blood. You have torture. You have misogyny and old school racism. Okay, so the, let's see. What can I compare this to? It's like if uh, it's like if the movie. Juice meets Scarface, but fucking Tupac and Omar Epps are in Nazi uniforms. Okay, can you kind of picture that? So, you know, for the most part, <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's the best black exploitation movie by. It's not even close. <laughs> it's not the best Nazi exploitation movie. Um, you know. It's not the best revenge movie, but um, it, I found it to be fairly entertaining for what it is. Because I wasn't going into this, uh, 
with high expectations. Okay. But, uh, I mean, it's a movie called the black Gestapo. So I had reasonable expectations and now that I've seen it, I'm like, okay, it wasn't terrible, but it's definitely trash for sure. Another thing that's weird, just in my research, by the way, I just thought I should point this out. Um, did you know there was, and I mean, this is according to the internet, so who knows how true it is. Um, I was unaware that there was black people in Nazi concentration camps. I was unaware of this. It's sort of all the uh, all the fringe. Uh, I don't know about fringe, but it's sort of all the all the smaller groups, rather, in the concentration camps. Like you hear about gypsies and homosexuals, and you don't hear too much about them. Um, it's always the Jews, right? Um, for good reason, you know the. It was mostly Jews in the concentration camps, right? But all these sort of other people that just didn't fit into the Nazi Aryan thousand year reign future. Apparently, there was quite a few black people in there. So I went kind of down a rabbit hole looking, <laughs> looking up all these sort of like Holocaust uh, memorial museums and websites and um, these things. And, and I found a whole bunch of stuff dedicated to black people who were in Germany during the, um, when the Nazis came into power. It's so weird. This has never occurred to me. I don't know if you're listening to this and like you already knew there was black people in concentration camps, but I that never occurred to me until I researched it. And all thanks to the movie Black Gestapo. <laughs> thanks, Black Gestapo. You've enlightened me to the the uh, even more atrocities by Hitler's Germany. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, do I recommend Black Gestapo? Sure. I'll recommend it. You know? It's if if you're into exploitation films, you know, if you're into you know, if you're if you're into like black exploitation films, if you're if you're into Nazi exploitation films or even just like weird sex exploitation films from like back in the seventies and shit like that, just go ahead and watch this. You might get a kick out of it. But now I wanna move on to Something with a little bit of a, kind of a cop drama. Something with some action, suspense, murder, sex, intrigue, all those sort of things. So I went out and um, there's often, uh, there's all these like meetups in Austin where people just sell videos. All these sort of like VHS nerds show up in sell, buy, and trade kind of videos with each other. And I was at one recently, and I it was totally a situation, which was, it was so cool. It was a situation where I saw the front cover of this movie, and I got completely roped in by just the cover, which is how you kind of picked movies. Back in the old video store days, you'd see a cover to something. You're like, well, I'm renting that. That looks awesome. That's how I first saw the movie Maniac. Um, but this movie, I'm, 
I want to talk about is called One Man Jury from 1978, directed by Charles Martin. And it stars Jack Palance. And you'll know Jack Palance. He he was curly in the City Slickers movies from the 90s, starring Billy Crystal. <laughs> yes. The, the you know City Slickers to the Search for Curly's Gold. That's who they're talking about. They're talking about Jack Palance. I don't know. I rec- I really like Jack Palance. I remember the two things growing up. I remember Jack Palance from like one was Cyborg Two. The other was a commercial. <laughs> This is so random. I just I, w- I want to call my brother out in California right now because I know he remembers this commercial because we used to make fun of it because Jack Plants talks like a guy who has like emphysema or asthma or something, but he's trying to be really charming at the same time. He always sounds out of breath. There was a product called Skin Brazer. Skin Brazer was basically this like bright green liquid aftershave crap <laughs> and it was the 80s I'm pretty sure skin brazier was from the 80s and it could have even been from the 90s but I feel like it was 80s late 80s early 90s it had to be but it's basically like um, I don't know um, aqua velva or brute that was sort of the era of cheap cologne. I remember cologne commercials on TV for just shitty men's cologne. You know what I mean? There was, like, you know, there was English leather and Old Spice. I mean, Old Spice is still a company now, you know. But, you know, it was back in the day when you would have uh, Calvin Klein's Eternity commercials and preferred stock. You know, it's just... just Men were slathering themselves in just this fucking rancid cologne. Everyone, every every guy I can think of growing up wore cologne. Like my stepdad wore cologne, and I mean he was he was a really hardworking guy. He was an electrician, so he always came home just smelling like bo and dust and and pipe tobacco because he smoked a pipe. Um, but when he, when he got cleaned up, he, you know, he'd splash on a little Stetson, Stetson cologne. That's what my memory is. Cause you know, your, your smell is connected to your memory and my memories are just filled with men wearing cologne apparently. But, um, but Jack Palance did a commercial for skin brazer and yeah. Even then, as like a child, I was like, damn, like, you must be not doing that great if you have to do skin brazer commercials. I mean, this was before City Slickers. So, I mean, Jack Palance's career was sort of, uh, you know, reinvigorated after the uh, City Slickers films. But anyways, that's (laughs) I talked about cologne way too long just now. Anyways, 
I don't need some fancy cologne to tell me I'm a man. I use Skin Bracer. It smells great. But it also cools and tones my skin. Confidence is very sexy. Don't you think? Original and Cooling Blue. By Menon. One Man Jury starring Jack Palance, okay? Jack Palance is a cop who's sort of half Dirty Harry, half Charles Bronson in pretty much any movie Charles Bronson's in. Charles Bronson's always the same guy. He's a dude with a mustache wearing, like, a sports coat. And um, he, he gets really mad because someone close to him dies, and then he kills every criminal on the street. The end. That's pretty much every Charles Bronson movie. And I'm a Charles Bronson fan, okay? If you came to the Skeleton Factory Studios... You walk through the hallways of, you know, my humble abode. I have fucking <laughs> like vintage Charles Bronson posters, like framed in my house. You know, it's it's amazing. I feel I feel really good about it too. But um, one man jury. Okay, so one man jury came out at a time where it's like, okay, here's the timeline. Okay, one man jury comes out and it's four years after Death Wish because there was a huge gap between Death Wish one and Death Wish two, and I mean it's funny because all the Death Wish movies, I know one and two did really well. I think three probably did all right, especially in the video market, and then four and five are just like garbage. Um, I can't. Um, well, okay, four and five actually has their moments, but it's um, it's sort of that the, like it's like the Steven Seagal effect where, you know, the first few movies were great, and then as time went on, they just get worse and worse and worse. But if you're a sadist and you just want to, <laughs> you know, subject yourself to every single Steven Seagal movie that comes out every week you may find little gems, little scenes, little moments that are just hilarious. And, you know, you tell yourself that those little moments are worth the watch. But, you know, deep down inside, you know that they're not. Okay, that's that's what Death Wish 4 and 5 are like. So, okay, One Man Jury is four years after Death Wish, okay? So, and then, but also One Man Jury is after the first three Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry movies. So, so the, you know, the first three, okay, it goes Dirty Harry, it's the first one, and then it was Magnum Force was two, and The Enforcer was th- the third one. So that was, and then right after Enforcer is when, like, One Man Jury came out. And it's it's pretty obvious that Jack Palance's character is sort of modeled after the Clint Eastwood, uh, Harry Callahan character very tall you know neatly dressed you know uh you know speak softly but murder everyone in your path sort of character you know so there was plenty of material to plagiarize when making one man jury (laughs) and i actually want to read the the back of the box to you I'll read the front of the box to you, okay? I'm I'm crazy. It, when it's this late at night, you know, I'll I'll read uh, the front of a VHS box to you, okay? 
<laughs> so the, okay, so we have so first of all we have some great artwork, and this box is great. There's actually a, you know, there is a sticker stuck onto the front of this. It's it's like silver, and it says action adventure. Okay, there's a genre sticker on this. I love that already. And there's another sticker on here that says 1995. This was twenty dollars at some point. I don't know when the fuck this was twenty dollars. How embarrassing. Could you imagine in, I don't know, the late 80s buying this one-man jury for $20? That's a lot of money back then. So it's basically a picture of Jack Palance, and he's like, he's loading up a, uh, I don't know, the, the proportions look really off, but he's basically loading a pistol. It looks like it's possibly a, um, a Beretta 9mm maybe. With a with a silencer on it, and he's like loading a magazine into it, and he okay, he's clearly in a bedroom because behind him is a mirror, and you can see the reflection of the person that he's looking at that he's about to shoot with this giant gun, and the guy looks terrified for his life. And believe it or not, this picture is in the movie. Okay, so that's that's good because sometimes. I mean, and this is a total, this is like a total 80s and 90s thing. You just, you make the box and whatever's on the box is just, you know, whatever your artwork to get people to rent or buy this fucking thing. It's just not in the movie. You know, it's a bait and switch and you feel cheated. So this is what the box on the front says. It says, like quote unquote death wish. He deals his own brand of justice. When this cop gets on your case, you're as good as dead. <laughs> it's a great movie to watch, especially in the era of, you know, defund the police and, uh, and whatnot. This was a magical time when, when you know, you, you went and rented a movie about a cop who... He's just like, look, I don't have time to obey the law, okay? Criminals are scum, and I have to shoot them to death in order to, uh, you know, free up the court system for, you know, DUIs and jaywalking. <laughs> now I'm going to read the back. Who else is in this? I'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, on the back, uh, one-man jury, he deals his own brand of justice. Psychotic murder. Well, that's a weird... Oh, God, the punctuation on the back of this box. Just before I even read it, just glancing at the punctuation is giving me an anxiety attack. Psychotic murder leads a vengeful cop wearied by an inadequate system of justice to become a one-man vigilante avenger. <laughs> they make it sound so heroic. Jack Palance is LAPD Lieutenant Jim Wade, assigned to track down rapist Billy Joe, brutal murderer of five women. With the aid of a mafia chieftain, he pursues the killer to execute his own brand of justice. This is the third time they've said that on uh, this box. Jim Wade is convinced there are only two 
places for criminals. In the slammer or dead. <laughs> it's only two places. He says that, oh, this is a quote. He says that, quote unquote, every man who kills another man forfeits his rights as a member of the human race. <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm going to get that painted on the walls of my house. Uh, He backs up those tough words by leading the audience on a startling rampage of bloody revenge. Jack Plants is one of very few... What? Jack Plants is one of very few talents who has the capacity to convey the full spectrum of emotions in this film. Well, that's a weird sentence, isn't it? It sounds like it sounds like there's only only a few of the many actors in this movie are actually capable actually have the capacity to convey a full spectrum of emotions. That's what it sounds like. They're like everyone else in this movie sucks. They just can't emote Okay, they can't hit their marks. They can't remember their lines. Their sideburns are unkempt. Anyways, um, at six foot four, two hundred pounds, features chiseled in solid granite, and a soft yet threatening as thunder voice. He's everyone's image of what an uncompromising Avenger should be. Yes. Take that, Iron Man. Take that, Black Widow. He's everyone's image of what an uncompromising Avenger should be. He's This is basically describing the Punisher. And there hasn't... First of all, for all you people who are... When I say the Punisher, if your brain, if your little brain pictures John Bernthal... You're wrong. John Berthold is not the Punisher. Okay? It's, I'm just not... He's, he's not a good enough actor to convince me that that guy's the Punisher. I just... I don't get it. Dolph Lundgren will always be... My Punisher. Okay? And and whoever the fuck that guy is from Punisher Warzone... That, that, that guy actually looks like the Punisher. I don't remember his name. And there's some bad CGI in Punisher Warzone, but I like that movie anyways. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that's what the back of the box says. 95 minutes. It's in color, so that's good. For all of you people who were under the impression that in 1975 there weren't colored movies yet. Rated R. United Home Video. So yeah... One man jury. So I basically bought it just because I like the cover. Um, also, they on the front where it says, like Death Wish, he deals out his own brand of justice. And it's like all of that's in like white lettering. It's like except the Death Wish parts in like blood red letters in quotation marks. So apparently I'm still susceptible to you know, late nineties advertising. You know, they got me as a child. 
you know, they made me want to have, uh, you know, Thundercat action figures. They wanted me to have Smurf cereal. And I had those things. Oh, yes. I grew up not completely poor, but we were, we were, uh, uh, we were able to get a uh, Thundercats uh, Lion-O action figure. I had a I had the the Lion-O sword. I had a really cool Hulk Hogan uh, action figure. Not the little ones either. Like a big one. Uh, that was pretty sweet. And um, that's about it. Uh, that's my whole childhood. Anyways, uh... <laughs> Okay, so let's see. What's his name? Jim Wade? Yes. So Jim Wade is hunting down a serial killer, uh, and it's mentioned on the box. His name is Billy Joe, like uh, like the singer of Green Day. Um, re- remember, I don't know if, you, like, you've, I don't know, I, I, I saw a thing in the news that Billy Joe from Green Day's car got stolen, and I thought that was really funny. <laughs> I think he got his car back, though, so, I mean, that's, that's cool, I guess. I guess someone just took it for a joyride and just dumped it off somewhere in L.A., but also Billy Joe, uh, he has not made good, to my knowledge, on his promise to leave the United States of America. If you didn't see that video, uh, he, he was doing some concert in London, I believe. And he was, um, I think, I think this was post, uh, the Roe versus Wade, um, overturned decision that got handed down from the Supreme court. And he was so upset about this, this 60 year old man in a punk band, was so upset about this that he uh, he he proclaimed live in front of a lot of people that he's going to leave America because he hates it. Um, to my knowledge, he still lives in America. So, but I I only I can only imagine it's because it takes a long time to pack up a mansion or two. So, you know, hopefully by Christmas time. Billy Joe from Green Day will not be an American. He won't be an American anymore. So let's all hope. Okay. Hopefully we'll get a Christmas miracle this year. Anyways, the <laughs> Jack Palance, uh, Jim Wade, is hunting down a serial killer named Billy Joe. And Billy is killing innocent women. He is stalking and killing innocent women. So Wade's investigation into this uh, string of, of murders kind of hits a dead end. And at one point he enlists the help of a local mob boss named uh, Mike Abatino, who's played by the great Joe Spinell. And Joe Spinell is like the greatest character actor who's ever lived, you know, People can say Gary Oldman. People can say people can say a lot of people, but for my money, for my sensibilities, Joe Spinell, he was the man. Okay, like okay. Also, Joe Spinell, like his 
just the, like he played small parts, but he was in all these really great movies in a fairly short amount of time. And then he just fucking died. Um, he was in Godfather one and two. He was, uh, he was, uh, Willie Chichi, you know, and like in Godfather two, they have the whole like Michael Corleone trial and yeah, yeah, he was, he was Chichi. And, uh, he was also in Rocky. He was in Taxi Driver. He was in Star Crash. <laughs> He's got really terrible voiceover in Star Crash. He's like the main like bad guy. And then he has like a cape and shit. And they just... Man, I would love to see the the original cut of Star Crash with Joe Spinell's like New York accent. He's like... <laughs> He's basically like, I'm a, I'm a fucking... I'm like a space, yeah, I'm an evil space emperor who wants to take over the universe, but it's, he's got like a New York accent. And so, yeah, they dubbed him over with, you know, some other guy's voice. Anyways, if you, <laughs> for all you Star Crash fans out there, um, he was also, of course, in Maniac, uh, the William Lustig film, amazing, amazing, amazing f- film, another I remember seeing not only the box to Maniac, but there was a video store near the neighborhood I grew up in, and they had a Maniac poster. I want you know it, it like it makes sense that it like it it was probably on the wall of the video store, but for some reason I felt like it was also in the window of the video store for some reason. Um. I mean, but this was like in the early nineties. Okay. Like when this came out, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> so, but maniac is so good. It's so fucking good. Um, special effects by Tom Savini. Uh, side note, Tom Savini. He's, if you don't know Tom Savini, he's a very famous makeup artist, special effects, makeup artist in Hollywood. He's been around forever and ever and ever. He did the original Dawn of the dead if you've seen the movie from dusk till dawn, there's a scene where that, there's that guy who's kind of has a mustache. He's kind of a leather daddy and he's got a gun cod piece. There's a scene where like his fucking crotch opens up and there's like a fucking gun hidden inside of this like cod piece he's wearing. That's, that's Tom Savini. I'm going to go meet him at the, um, Texas Frightmare weekend. Texas Frightmare Weekend is a big uh, horror convention here in uh, Texas next month. I'm very, very excited about that. So I'll probably actually do an episode um, and report back what happened that weekend. Um, anyways, that's not what this episode is about. I'll try to stay on track. Uh, <laughs> anyways, but yeah, uh I don't know, uh, but Joe Spinell, uh, he he was also in a movie called Vigilante, a really good sort of revenge film with like Robert Forrester's in it, and I think I think Jim Brown is in that movie. I think Jim Brown's in that movie, and Jim Brown's also in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. There you go, fucking circled back, and then uh, one of his later movies is called The Undertaker. Not like The Wrestler, but like this movie called The Undertaker. Where he's basically like, he's like a creepy mortician dude who's a serial killer. 
even that movie I think is great. That's he's he's creepy as fuck, and um, I miss Joe Spinell. Rest in peace. You know, like Joe Spinell probably would have ended up dying of a heart attack or a drug overdose. Like, definitely, from what I know about him. But Joe Spinell, okay, if you're a fan of Joe Spinell like I am, Joe Spinell, like. If you're not aware of how he died, he was taking a shower and something happened where he like slipped and fell. And I don't know if he like, like slipped and fell through his like glass door of his shower or, um, or something, but something happened where he slipped and fell in the shower and he cut himself and Joe Spinell was a hemophiliac. So it's, which is like, um. He, he, his blood can't clot correctly. So he ended up fucking bleeding to death. Like he got out of the shower. He like went in his living room, sat on the couch. And I think he just bled to death. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> That's so awful. Anyways, <laughs> I'll do a Joe Spinell episode sometime in the future. I don't know when. Because apparently I like talking about Joe Spinell. Anyways, Joe Spinell is like the the main bad guy in this movie, okay? So the deal is Joe Spinell will find out for uh, for Wade, for Officer Wade. He's going to help him find out who this Billy Joe killer guy is. Because at this point, they don't even know his name. They just know that there's a guy out there killing women. So... Joe Spinell's like, you know, I got people on the streets. I know people who know things, yada, yada, yada. And I'll find out who the fuck this killer guy is. So, but in exchange, because, you know, road goes both ways and everything. Joe Spinell makes a deal with Wade where he's like, I'll help you find this guy. If I help you find this guy, um, he Joe Spinell wants Wade to basically back off investigating all of Joe Spinell's illegal businesses. Okay, so he's he's doing the whole fucking thing, right? He's doing prostitution. He's selling illegal merchandise. Yeah, yeah, he's doing all this mob shit. He's like, basically, he's like, you back off of me and let me kind of run my business, you know, if I help you find this guy. So that's sort of the deal they made. And that's a kind of a, that's a thing that, Jim Wade does on the regular. He'll basically negotiate, you know, uh, with criminals. He'll basically be like, there's a scene where, um, you know, he kind of negotiates with a, with a prostitute where he's like, Hey, you get him some, some information for me. And in exchange, I'll let you kind of, you know, you know, be a fucking hooker <laughs> and I won't bust you if I see you, you know, um, hustling around town. So he does a lot of that, but, he, but he does it with Joe Spinell's character, who's like a fucking big time boss. And it's like, you know, he's basically setting himself up to be in this mob boss's pocket, which is, you know, not good. You know, that can only that can only end one of two ways, as the back of the box tells us. Um, with Joe Spinell going to the slammer or dead. <laughs> um. So eventually uh, Wade ends up tracking down Billy Joe, like, like, uh, Joe Spinell ends up finding out who the Billy Joe guy is. He finds out, um, where he fucking 
Wade basically figures out where he hangs out and connects him to, uh, you know, uh, as the murderer, basically. So Wade tracks him down to uh, his house. He follows Billy Joe back to his apartment, and then he breaks into his apartment. And then he basically tells him, uh, he pull, you know, he pulls a gun on him, and he's like, you know, like, you, uh, he's like, uh, the Billy Joe's like, you know, if you're a cop, you have to arrest me. You have to arrest me. You can't just break into my house, okay? You don't even have a warrant, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, he's like, I want a judge. I want a, I want a courtroom. And it, fuck, <laughs> and Wade's like, well, this is your courtroom, and I'm the judge, and I say you're guilty, and I say that you're sentenced to death. And then he uh, shoots Billy Joe in the fucking face, shoots him right between the eyes and kills him, which is, um, that's not legal in case you're a... Uh, cop television show and you know cop film enthusiasts you can't just shoot people <laughs> you can't shoot unarmed people just because they broke the law okay and they pose no threat to you that's that's probably not a good thing but he kills this guy because in this world uh criminals kind of uh, get skeezy lawyers that get them you know off the hook sort of thing so he tracks down this dude Breaks into his house, shoots him in the face. So Wade eventually, eventually, as the movie goes on, he sort of like breaks his promise to Joe Spinell that he'll back off, like investigating all of his sort of like illegal shit that he's doing. So Joe Spinell doesn't like this too much, and Joe Spinell tries to kill Wade and Wade's girlfriend and his uh, partner, and. You know, Wade says, you know, hell to the gnaw with all that shit. And basically, he just ends up murdering everybody. He murders everyone in Joe Spinell's fucking crime organization. He tracks fucking Joe Spinell down to his boat, <laughs> his, his yacht, and then murders him. Okay. And that's basically the end. And then the movie just ends suddenly. Okay, like, you know, the, his partner shows up, he fucking, you know, Wade's partner gets shot, and then actually, actually, let me correct myself, it wasn't even Wade that killed Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell actually got the drop on, because he, he shot his partner, and when Wade went to go kind of, like, help his partner, he, like, ran to him, Joe Spinell was like, I got you now, I got you now, motherfucker, and then... Joe Spinell's girl, I'm sorry, uh, Wade's girlfriend picks up a gun. She's also a cop. She picks up a gun and fucking shoots Joe Spinell, kills him. The end. And after he kills Joe Spinell, after she kills Joe Spinell, uh, fucking Wade gets up and just walks over to her and is just like, thanks. And then freeze frame credits. You're just like, what? That's the end? (laughs) He's like, oh, thanks a lot. And then hit the music, hit the credits, and it's like, oh, it's kind of an underwhelming ending, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, that was One Man Jury. <laughs> and um, I mean, I kind of liked it. I didn't think it was, uh, I didn't think it was awful. I thought as, you know, a dirty, hairy ripoff, it's serviceable. 
you know, if you're into movies like, you know, fucking uh, Nighthawks or something like that, it's, you know, it's sort of like a cheap night Nighthawks or something like that, you know. But like I said, this it's another movie that's just basically just trash. It's just basically ripping off other vigilante cop movies of the time. But I didn't, you know, I watch movies like this all the time, so it doesn't bother me. Um, some movies are terrible and unwatchable, but yeah, I didn't mind this one. You know, it's, you know, if you're, if, if it sounds uh, mildly interest, uh, interesting to you, if you're a Joe Spinell fan, if you're a Jack Palance fan, sure, go for it. Go, <laughs> go track down one man jury. Okay. All right. Now let's, let's see. It, like here's the thing about it it was an era I went, okay it wasn't so much this era but it sort of built up over time it built up through the 80s and into the 90s for sure where there was sort of a thing of like vigilante cop who plays by his own rules that was a thing okay and let me recommend and that's basically what this movie is but let me recommend a couple movies that do the sort of like um, a cop who plays by his own rules and, you know, is he's judge, jury, and executioner, and he's going to clean up the streets. And, you know, these bad guys fucked with the wrong cop. You know, if you're into movies like that, okay, there's, okay, here's two movies I can recommend. One is called Cop. It's sim- just simply Cop. Okay, it's a movie from 1988, and it stars James Woods. And it's kind of the same movie, actually. <laughs> it's There's a serial killer uh, murdering women, and James Woods, uh, I think the killer may have killed someone close to James Woods or something like that, but James Woods is angry. The whole movie's so fucking pissed off. And... Um, he basically tracks down this the killer, right? And at the end of the movie, the, the it's actually exactly like one man jury. Uh, he tracks the guy down, and he's like, uh, "You have to." Uh, he's like, "Well, he's like, well, you got the drop on me, officer. I'm unarmed. I can't run anymore. I guess you're just gonna have to take me in." And like James Woods is just like, "What? What does he say?" He says something like. Um, he's like, oh, two things. He's like, one, he's like, he's like, you're right. I am a cop and I should arrest you and take you in. He's like, but, um, I'm, I'm also suspended and I don't give a fuck. And then he just fucking lights the dude up with a shotgun, (laughs) kills him. And that's like the end of the movie, but it's great. That movie's it's so it's like really refined trash. You know, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's got good acting and it's just, it's grimy. It's just dirty. It's just, it's so sexualized and everyone in it is such a scumbag and shit, but I, and it's really violent, but I like it. I like it a lot. It's called cop. Check it out. James Woods. If you like James Woods, he's in it. It's great. Uh, I like James Woods, you know, he was, uh, especially nowadays on Twitter. He's amazing. Uh, <laughs> another movie, another movie 
Um, and you can find a really, there's, you know, I know there's like Blu-rays of it. There's like remastered copies that are probably streaming. Um, a movie called, it's also from 1988, by the way. Uh, it's a movie called Shakedown. Okay, Shakedown. And it stars Peter Weller, Robocop. And actually, uh, Shakedown, I think, came out right after Robocop. Um, this might have been the movie Peter Weller did right after Robocop. I'm not 100% sure, but. And then, um, and Sam Elliott. Okay, so they're both like fucking kicking ass on it. Really, Sam Elliott is kind of the, he's like the main hero in this. You know, if you go look up a trailer for it, it's it's all Sam Elliott just kicking ass. So that movie's fucking action-packed. I don't understand how that movie isn't bigger than, I mean, it should be a lot more well-known, I think. So, yeah, uh, Shakedown. So go check out Cop. Go check out Shakedown. I could definitely wholeheartedly recommend those two movies. Uh, One Man Jury, eh. <laughs> if you've watched every other fucking Vigilante Cop movie, Uh, You know, check out uh, One Man Jury. But anyways. So up next, we're taken out back to Australia for a film from 2022 called Charlotte's Net. Directed by James Dobbins Jones. Oh boy, here we go. Um... This is one of those movies I kind of heard about through the grapevine online. Okay. If you're into weird, underground, violent um, movies, especially ones that sort of involve, uh, you know, murder and torture and, you know, uh, if you're into like gore mixtapes shit like that um you've probably heard of this movie all right let let me just get into it okay charlotte's net (laughs) okay so charlotte's net so combining found footage um it's it basically combines a found footage horror film with real clips of internet gore footage okay so the movie goes that friends Phil and James um I remember their names because that's the name of the actors in real life Phil and James and in the movie their characters names are Phil and James so Phil and James are friends and are total opposites and don't seem to like each other at all. (laughs) Uh, They're both unlikable. Phil is a boring, spineless gamer with an awful apartment. His apartment looks like a, like a, a dorm room. It's just just awful. And James is just a jerk off. We all know at least one jerk off. You may be related to one or worked with one when you were in high school. 
you know, at your after school job or something. James also has a shitty apartment. They both have just shitty apartments. Like, like for real. Not that it's like a, like a hoarder's house. Like it's like it's gross. It's just it just looks terrible. It's just, it just has no style, no class whatsoever. And and but the, the, that's but for real. That's what their places look like because all of the uh, all the sets. All the locations on this movie are not even sets. They're the actual guy. It's actually Phil and James's apartment. And they're terrible. And then they look like two apartments that a couple of single guys live in. And um, so basically James, he sucks. Um, he's a character that um, thankfully is rarely seen on camera. So that's good. Because it's a found footage film, right? So he's actually the one behind the camera the whole time. So he's the one basically filming the entire movie. So, oh, also James, he's also the director of this movie. Yes, James, the character is James Dobbins Jones. So... James Albans Jones, in reality, he's an internet gore video enthusiast who made this movie that's this like half baked movie about a dark web serial killer and wanted to put scenes of real clips of death and cartel murders and puppy crushing videos, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That's basically what this movie is. So James convinces Phil to open some spooky dark web content that costs them their lives. That's basically the entire movie. It's like Phil's a total pushover. James is annoying and really into watching people fucking get tortured and killed on the internet. And he basically... Um, he basically hassles Phil to look up something on the dark web. We never see what it is and this. Okay. So this content that we never see if watched will lead a path to your crappy apartment door where a diabolical content creator of snuff will come to your house, steal your dog and then kill you. That also happens, okay? They o- they open up some video that they're not supposed to see. Somehow the guy who made the video finds out where they are. He steals Phil's dog. Him stealing the dog is captured on his, like, ring camera. And then Phil and James follow the guy, and then the guy kills them. That's basically the entire movie. But on top of like the sort of like the cheapness of the entire movie, the kind of bad set design, the, I don't I don't know if there was a script, <laughs> but every line of dialogue is is is, is terrible. Um, so okay, so 
So the, the, the guy comes to his house, steals his dog, they pick it up on the ring camera, and then they chase the guy down. So the guy's in a car, they're chasing the car down. And <clears throat> conveniently, the killer lives, who, who made this dark web video, conveniently, he lives not only in Australia where they live, where this movie takes place, but he lives within like a mile of Phil's apartment. What are the odds, right? It took me two whole watches to realize that when James and Phil finally get hunted down and killed, that their death scenes were actual death scenes of two poor fucks that look somewhat like them. Okay? So again, fucking Phil's a pushover. James is a fucking asshole. James goads fucking Phil to log on to some fucking dark web website. They watch something that they're not supposed to see. And then the guy who made the video tracks them down and then steals their Phil's dog. Phil sees him try to steal the dog. A car chase ensues. They follow the killer to his house and, uh, they end up, uh, well, you, I mean, you assume the dog gets murdered. Okay, so they end up going in the fucking guy's house, and there's, like, a closet with a TV playing, and it's playing, like, puppy crush porn. Um, okay, if you want to call it porn. <laughs> it's, it, okay, if you're not familiar with a, a crushing fetish, it's literally, it's typically, from what I've, from what I understand, um, it's basically uh, Asian women putting on uh, high heels or boots or whatever, and they they step on animals. They crush them, like kittens or puppies or fucking hamsters and other small living things. This is like a fetish of some kind. Go figure, you know, something for everyone. So they open, they open, they go into the fucking killer's house. It's all dark and creepy and shit. And there's like this TV is playing in this closet and it's playing fucking a like puppy crush video. So so both guys basically end up getting fucking hunted down and killed by the killer. But like I said before, like the first time I watched it, I, I think by the time I got to the end, I was kind of checked out. I don't think I was really paying attention. <laughs> so I kind of missed the part where when the killer finally kills Okay, <laughs> let me just describe their murders, okay? So when Phil gets killed, okay, the movie cuts to a a scene of it's it's a it's a fucking internet fucking gore video, right? Phil's body it's basically Phil has a body double. So they basically found a movie, a uh, video of a guy getting killed who sort of looks like Phil. So Phil's body double is bound. Uh, and he's laying on the ground, like in the dirt and he's, uh, he's got a gag in his mouth and I'm assuming this is some type of, uh, you know, cartel related, uh, video. So his hands are, uh, bound behind his back. He's got a fucking like gag in his mouth. And, um, some guy comes into frame and cuts off the guy's ear with a knife. 
And after this, they, they, they fucking, they like roll him over and they just try to start, they start hacking. They start hacking away at his neck with a machete. And they, and it, and it takes a while too. like, they cut his throat, they roll him over, they start chopping away at the back of his neck and they, they mostly decapitate the guy, but it took forever. You know, it's not a very sharp machete, but so that that's real footage. That's a real footage of some young dude getting his ear chopped off and then his head chopped off with a fucking machete. So, but it's the movie plays it where like Phil's getting chased and then the movie just hard cuts to that footage as if that footage is Phil. Okay. Hope that makes sense. So, and then James's murder scene. Okay. Okay. <laughs> James's murder scene is, I mean, I know it's, it's totally the question everyone asks. It's totally a hack question at this point, but it's like in every found footage film, you, you ask yourself like, why are they still filming? If they're in danger and they're being chased into like, why are they still filming? So James is getting, <clears throat> he's getting chased down in the woods and the killer like catches up to him, knocks him over, and you can hear the killer, and he's and he has a dog with him. And you see James fall to the ground. I mean, you don't see him fall to the ground. You basically see him holding the camera, and he falls to the ground. And then the footage cuts to some other guy who's basically stripped naked. He's already covered in blood, like he was must have been beaten profusely or something. But he's basically being held down on the ground naked. While uh, a dog, I think it's a pit bull, um, one dog is trying to like bite the guy in the face. And then another dog, the guy's legs are held splayed open, okay? And another pit bull basically bites the guy's dick and balls off, okay? And is just now just gnawing away at the skin of his taint and all the skin around his asshole and his inner thighs, in his like pubic area and the dog's just gnawing away at it. And the guy is still alive. The guy's screaming, he's kicking and screaming and like his, his dick and balls are already been just bit off of his body. So that's, that's, we're supposed to believe that's James is dead. And I mean, the guy who got his dick and balls bitten off, that guy looks nothing like the character of James, but maybe the, uh, the director was banking on since he only seen, that character like once in the beginning of the film that you maybe forgot what he looked like. And this guy is, you know, who's getting his dick and balls bitten off is at least similar enough in body type where you're like, Oh, Oh, this must be the James character. Like that didn't even fucking occur to me when I first saw it. I was just like, Oh, I guess we don't, we don't really, I I thought it was, it was kind of like the, I thought it was like the Blair Witch project where it's like, Dude goes in the fucking witch's house, and then you see the camera fall over, and you, just, and you don't know what happens. You just assume he got killed. That's what I thought happened. I thought he was being chased through the woods. The guy catches up to him, kills him. He falls over. Camera hits the ground. And then it just, for no reason, cuts to a scene of a guy getting his fucking dick and balls ripped off by a pit bull. And then I watched it a second time. I'm like, oh, I think the movie wants us... The movie wants us to think that this guy, whoever the fuck that poor fuck was, getting his dick and balls bitten off by a pit bull, is the James character. 
It's like, all right. <laughs> uh, the end. <laughs> and that was Charlotte's Net. Um, wow. Hour and 15 minutes. Oh, what can I say about Charlotte's Net? Um, I got, I got totally sucked into it, uh, just out of just raw curiosity. I should have just avoided watching this movie altogether because, you know, if I wanted to watch disturbing videos, I could have just went to any website and did that. Um, I mean, there are people who make really like fucked up mixtapes and I will buy a fucked up mixtape from time to time, but this is like the problem with Charlotte's net is it doesn't function well as one, a found footage horror film. You know what I mean? Like I, like I, I, like the premise, I think the premise could have worked of like, you know, two guys who see something on the dark web that they're not supposed to see. And that's, and now someone from the dark web is, trying to kill them i'm like okay i can kind of get behind that as as a movie but it's just the story there's just no there's nothing fleshing this out at all and so as a found footage film i feel like it, it failed as a found footage film um you know it's the same two guys the entire time and they're not particularly good actors and they're there's there's just not a whole lot there. And a lot of the movies just padded with gore footage sort of just inserted here and there. Um, so it doesn't really work as a found footage film and it doesn't, I mean, there's enough real gore. Like you can't play this anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe you can, you know, I've, like I've watched stuff on like Vimeo that's, you know, like I've seen, I've watched like Sam Hell videos on Vimeo because you can't show that shit on YouTube. You can't really buy it on Amazon or anything like that. You have to like own a physical copy of it or maybe watch it off of someone's random website or something. But you know, it's like if you're gonna watch stuff like this, just watch a just watch like a you know some type of gore compilation mixtape of some kind. You know, whatever the whatever your taste is, you know. Like if that's the type of stuff you want to see, just just watch that. You know what I mean? It's like it's trying to combine these two worlds. You know, I if it doesn't already exist, I don't know. I'm not like an expert or anything, but I feel like somebody can probably put together a movie where there is, you know, actual gore footage in it, and it actually be an interesting film. I think that's completely possible but the problem with movies is that sometimes not showing something has more dramatic impact than actually showing something you know like like the death scene of the girl in uh michael hanukkah's uh benny's video or the fucking eight millimeter with nicholas cage you know that the scene where he's watching the snuff film but you don't really see what happens in the snuff film, really. You you you're, what you're watching Nicolas Cage react to it, you know. And in a lot of ways, that's a lot more powerful because you're sitting there and you just kind of fill in the blanks in your own mind. But 
if this movie is like, okay, no, we're going to fill in all the blanks for you. You're going to see all the disgusting death. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then you need to kind of make up for. So the, the work the audience would have to do of like, like if you don't actually show something, if you sort of infer it and then the audience has to kind of fill in the blanks in their mind. If you're going to take away that kind of heavy lifting for the audience and just show just death and murder, then the found footage horror movie component should be a lot stronger. You know, there should be some more mystery and more drama and, and, you know, I, not to say that James Dobbins Jones, if, if, you know, maybe if this guy had half a million dollars or something, he could probably could have made something a lot better. Like maybe, I don't know, but, but this movie is, I just didn't like it. I was just, wasn't into it. You know, I watched it twice. <laughs> watch, I watched it twice to make sure I wasn't into it. Cause I watched it once and I was like, just kind of confused and I thought it was very just amateurish and, you know, it's, I don't know, the quality of it's just very shoddy. So, but I can see why people would want to own this and would want to collect it. But I just didn't think it was that great. So, but maybe sometime in the future, somebody will do sort of, I don't know, maybe someone will remake 8mm and put in uh, fucking real gore footage who knows i don't know but you know it i don't know it's like for instance like like uh the 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 documentary um orosco the embalmer okay like that's that's a documentary just about watching an embalmer work in like a third world country okay it's just body after body being fucking stuffed with fucking old t-shirts and you know, get a splash of formaldehyde, and then they sew them up and put them in coffins. And just Orozco the Impalmer just does that all day long, day after day after day, and it's disturbing to watch. But it's also it has this voyeuristic quality, where it's not just showing murder, or death, or anything. Like the bodies are already dead, but it's the story comes when you watch this guy pr- prepare enough bodies, where you realize like, you know, this it's like this old dude in fucking Bogota and it's, you know, this, there's people getting killed on the streets daily and it's, there's still like a dr- giant fucking drug war taking place on the streets. And, but there's this one guy who like gives people their, the last little bit of dignity in, in death. You know, he embalms them. He comes their hair. He puts them in a nice suit and puts them in a fucking coffin and shit like that. And so that they can have a funeral for their loved ones. And, it kind of goes from being the sort of like disturbing kind of movie into the sort of thing where it kind of ends on a positive note. It like completely turns around, it completely subverts your expectations. You know, I, I don't know if that's the best example. I know a Roscoe the Embalmer is fairly well known if you're into that type of stuff. Um, and I like a Roscoe the Embalmer a lot. Like I reviewed it last year and I really enjoyed it and, but something, you know, but just watching the story unfold, you, you get all the story you need just watching it unfold in front of you. And with this movie, it's like they literally say all the obvious shit out loud. You know, it's like you don't have to say the obvious shit out loud, especially if you're kind of into this like Internet gore stuff. 
you don't need someone sitting there being like, oh, fucking cannibal holocaust and fucking crazy shit.com. It's like, you don't, you don't need all that. You really don't. And it, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, I don't know. It just seems lazy to me. It's just, just overall, it's just lazy filmmaking. But, um, I mean, if, <laughs> I mean, if you want to see a movie about, you know, someone who's just obsessed, someone who, because the James character, he's a character who's sort of his brain, he's obsessed with these horrific images. Okay. That's like his deal. That's what he likes. And, and he's, I mean, if you want to, but he obviously has something fucking wrong with him. Okay. He's, he has, he's undiagnosed in some way. I don't know how, but if, I mean, if you want to see a movie about a guy who's obsessed with movies and can't, you know, he, he sometimes he can't, he, he, he loses track of what is reality and what is a movie. Like go watch Jim Carrey and the cable guy. You know, oh, or here, here's a movie I actually recommend. There's a movie called Fade to Black. Go watch that movie. It's about a guy who's obsessed with movies, and you know he he can't separate reality from fiction, and it just drives him to madness. And uh, you know that's a movie that you know it's not particularly gory or anything like that, but it's sort of like what happens when you get you become so obsessed with watching something where it just kind of at the end it ends up just killing you <laughs> you know i don't know if that's i don't know if that's i don't know if you're seeing that connection but to me that uh, i see that connection very easily because that's what this movie should have been it should have been about it, it it should have been about the james character it should have been about his obsession and how his obsession with this type of stuff ends up getting um, himself killed. And I don't know. It, like if there was, if this was remade, no one's going to remake Charlotte's net by the way, but let's say it was like, you can't kill both the main characters. Like one of them has to survive, you know, to tell the tale, you know, like they narrowly survive, you know, that, that would have, that would have been great. Like James ends up dragging Phil into a world that is, you know, he, it's not his world. Okay. So every, every turn is uh, scary to him. Okay. And James kind of, you know, and they have to work together to try to survive, but ultimately, you know, the one that ends up surviving is Phil. And then Phil lives to tell the tale, but maybe he's horribly disfigured or something. Gets his fucking hand chopped off or something, something like that. Like that, that would have been just that alone. That little tweak would have been a lot more interesting, but, but no, they piss off some guy on a dark website. And then the guy tracks him down and murders him. The end. So, all right. That was uh Charlotte's net. Um, I don't know if you're into all this kind of extreme weirdo underground pseudo, fucking gore stuff go ahead and watch it uh, I don't recommend it <laughs> at all I, I didn't think it was particularly good but the, the again 
the point of this episode was just pure, obscure, trash movies. Okay? This is all stuff that is sort of... <laughs> you know, it's... it's the, I don't like. I don't even know who these movies are for, really. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It, it, it all seems so nuanced to me. It's like it, it, they're, the all these movies are so specific that if, you, if that's what you're into, then you'll get some level of enjoyment. And I, I feel like I got some level of enjoyment out of all of these. You know, I don't recommend all of them, but I did get a certain level of enjoyment and. Um, because sometimes you just need to watch just a big pile of fucking trash burn. So, anyways, that's it for me, guys. I'm going to get out of here. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. It's probably the best place to get a hold of me. I'm also on Twitter at... SF Podcast ATX. And you can also support Skeleton Factory at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. And I have quite a few audio episodes that are just on Patreon. And for the most part, they're free. You don't have to become a patron to listen to those episodes. And uh, for anyone who has listened to any of the Patreon episodes, in case you're wondering, um, I just started doing video episodes on Patreon. Those will not be free, okay? You have to become a patron to watch the video episodes, okay? So, I should have a new uh, Patreon video in the next few days here. So, you just go ahead and sit tight, and that'll be up shortly, okay? Well, it's getting late. It's after 2 o'clock, so... This is a Skeleton Factory podcast, rescuing your movie night, one movie at a time. I am Adam. Bye-bye. <laughs>